We are a band of brothers, diverse yet unified, aligned to pursue the truth, resolute in our commitment. We are stronger together, and you are one of us. This is the Brotherhood Podcast. Brothers, welcome to the podcast. Today we get to tune in and listen to our December breakfast with Pastor Willie George. Let's tune in and listen to his message to the Brotherhood. I want to read to you the summary of how God does this and what he thinks about it. It's Isaiah 46. And uh, this is something that only an infinite being can do. A being who does not have any limitation in knowledge. If he has all knowledge and all wisdom, then he's never had an idea. That's hard for you and me to wrap our minds around, but that's God. There's never been a time where God said... Jesus, I think you need to go down and go to the cross. Uh, it, it was from the very beginning when God created man, it was already a part of his plan. And again, it's a very hard thing for us to understand because we have beginnings and we have ends on this earth. Now, once we're created, we're eternal. You're going to live somewhere forever. If you choose God and if you choose Christ, you'll live with him. If you reject him, and he will give you that opportunity, that's totally up to you, but you will not live in his presence, and I can tell you the other alternative is not good. Isaiah 46 verse 9 says this, Remember ye the things named in advance from age past times. For I am the mighty one, and there is none else. The adorable, and there is none like me, making clear from the first what is to come, and from past times the things which have not so far come about. I say that my plan shall stand, I accomplish my every purpose. And then Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 9, this is the Septuagint version, is a version says this, What is that which has been? The very same which shall be. And what is that which has been done? The very thing which shall be done. For there is nothing entirely new under the sun. So the ancient Hebrew prophets declared a number of things that, that we have witnessed and seen in modern times, and I think none so great as the restoration of a nation that was given up for death and lost its homeland in 70 AD, was driven out completely, and the land went into desolation. It lost its glory. It lost its agriculture. Very few farms, very few places where the soil could be tilled. It, it, it was a very, very sad situation. Uh, Mark Twain in 1867 was sent to the Middle East, and he went to this land that was called Palestine in the day, and uh, he toured it, and he had great expectations because it's the land of the Bible, the story of the Bible, and all the great cities and the things, and he goes there and he's really pretty disappointed. He wrote these words, the further we went, the hotter the sun got, and the more rocky and bare and repulsive and dreary the landscape became. There was hardly a tree or a shrub anywhere. Even the olive and the cactus, those fast friends of a worthless soil, had almost deserted the country. He went on to write, Palestine is desolate and unlovely. And why should it be otherwise? Can the curse of the deity beautify a land? Palestine is no more of this workday world. It is sacred to poetry and tradition. It is a dreamland. That's what he had to say. 
The book that he wrote out of these articles that he penned during his tour was called Innocence Abroad. It was his best-selling book, better than Tom Sawyer, more than Huckleberry Finn, more than any other book that he wrote. This is what God said before Twain was born, 2,500 years before Twain was born. Therefore prophesy and say, thus says the Lord God, this is Ezekiel 36.3, because they made you desolate and swallowed you up on every side so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations and you're taken up by the lips of the talkers and slandered by the people. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, the valleys, the desolate wastes, the cities that have been forsaken, which became plunder and mockery to the rest of the nations all around. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, surely I have spoken in my burning jealousy against the rest of the nations and against all Edom who gave my land to themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy and spiteful minds in order to plunder its open country. Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, the valleys, thus says the Lord God, behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and my fury because you have borne the shame of the nations. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I've raised my hand in an oath that surely the nations that are around you shall bear their own shame. Look at the condition today. Lebanon can hardly be said to be a country. Syria has lost over half its population. Most of it lies in ruins. Iraq has been decimated. The country of Jordan hangs on by a thread for the fear of being overthrown by radicals. All those who cursed this land have themselves found themselves in a very difficult position. But God said, but you, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they are about to come. For I indeed am for you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown. I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel, all of it. And all the cities shall be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt. And I will multiply upon you man and beast and they shall increase and bear young. I will make you inhabited as in former times and do better things for you than at your beginnings. Then shall you know that I am the Lord. Just as Ezekiel prophesied, it happened. It didn't happen overnight. But the first wave of people who came were not bankers, financiers, they were farmers. Most of them came from Europe and Russia especially. And they came into the land and they bought it. They had to buy it from the Turkish government who controlled the land at the time. The Turks were determined that this land would not be invaded by the Western powers and so they dammed up the flow of the rivers to create swamps. And these huge malarial swamps were considered uninhabitable. And so these farmers came in and began to drain the swamps. They purchased the land. They, they began to farm and till. And they mastered agriculture in an arid environment. And guess what happened? When they returned, the rain returned. And the country began to turn. Today, the land of Israel is a modern 
marvel of agriculture. No place on earth is as productive for the types of soils that it has and the place that it is. They export food to all the nations around them. It is a marvel. When you don't stop and look at the long game, you're going to miss things that God does. Like I said 150 years ago, it was a mess, but not today. Everything Mark Twain wrote, who is considered the father of American literature, everything that he wrote has been proven wrong. God flipped it all because he said he would. It pays to listen to these Hebrew prophets. They didn't only talk to the land, but they predicted a time when there would be great death, destruction, sorrow, and hopelessness above all. And it couldn't have come in a greater way than it did in World War II, when Hitler exterminated at least six million Jews, another million and a half people of other stripes. He sent them to the gas chambers. They found the most creative and heinous ways to murder people. It was a horrible, horrible situation. And there was a hopelessness with Jewish people around the world. Ezekiel 37 said this, the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of a valley and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around and Behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. We have a place at Rocker W. Ranch where we dump the rib cages and the spines of the deer that we dress. And we take all the useful meat and, and, and we put it in the cooler and send it off to have it processed and so forth. But, but there are those carcasses, the, like I said, the, the skeletal things that we have a place where we take it. It's an eerie place. I can't imagine anything more eerie, though, than walking in a valley of millions of human skeletons. And even though the bones are dry, there's still the smell of stench. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you. and You shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh on you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then shall you know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, suddenly a rattling and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost. We ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then shall you know that I 
am the Lord. We've seen that happen in our day. In our day, I was in uh, Israel myself in 1988-89. And as I was there, I uh, had opportunity to be around a very important lady in Israel. She'd won the Israel Prize. It would be like, uh, not the Congressional Medal of Honor, but the great medal that they give to civilians in America. And uh, she had won that prize. She was very, very well known. And she ran a Hebrew language school because so many people who come into the land don't know how to speak the Hebrew language, which, by the way, is another prophecy that was fulfilled because the Hebrew language was pretty much lost. They didn't speak it for day-to-day use. And God said through the prophet Isaiah, this tongue shall be used again. And Hebrew is such a simple language with so many simple roots that they were able to reconstruct it, create whole new words, and today it's a living language once again. But I told this lady, get ready. Get ready because you're going to be overrun with immigrants. And your people are coming back from Russia in numbers that you cannot possibly imagine. It happened in the early 90s. They came from Russia, 900,000, which in a country of about 3.5 million Jewish people, 900,000 is a significant ad. It's not Willie George who knew that. It was the prophet Jeremiah. And the reason I could say this boldly to this lady and a year or so later, she called me and said, how did you know? How did you know? Her whole school was turned toward teaching Russian Jews how to speak Hebrew. And I said, well, the prophet Jeremiah said it a number of times. This is what I consider the most outstanding place, Jeremiah 31.8. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the coasts of the earth. A great company shall return there. One of the ways to judge this is to just do a little study, do a little research, and ask yourself, is there a large Jewish population in a country to the north of Israel? And the answer is absolutely yes. There were well over a million Jews in the land of Russia. But God not only said that they would come from the north country, he said they're going to come home from the coastal cities of the earth. So I did another little study, and I asked myself, where did Jews live outside of Israel? Where do they live? Well, the second largest Jewish population center in the world after Israel and after the city of Tel Aviv is New York City, 1.5 million Jews. Los Angeles, California, 662,000 Jews. Chicago, 320,000. Houston, 51,000. South Florida, 482,000. Along the Riviera in France, 450,000. And so God said, I will bring them home. So I'm going to make another prophecy today. And it's not me. This is Jeremiah speaking. The next big wave of immigration will come from these coastal cities. And we will see Jewish people leaving from these places going back to the land. It will happen. Don't know when, but it will happen, and I believe soon. Then in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38, because this is a sequence of the development of Israel, the redevelopment, 
Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, verse 1, Son of man, set your face against Gog, the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws. I will lead you out, all your army, horses, horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields and all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer with all of its troops, the house of Togarma from the far north and all its troops and many people that are with you. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. This ruler who is Gog from the land of Magog, and most scholars believe that this is indeed Russia. The reason I believe it's Russia, even though sometimes the names vary, is because of the last clause in verse 7. Be thou a guard for them. These nations are armed and they are equipped and they are sponsored and even today we dare not move against them because it might upset Russia. Russia is the common thread in all of these countries. When I was in high school, there was a girl in my class. She was a sophomore. She'd grown up in the country of Libya. Very pleasant experience. From time to time, the teacher would have her talk about what it was like to grow up in Libya. And it was the part that she was in, going to the American school and so forth. Very favored place. But Libya is not so today, and Ezekiel predicted it. When I was in high school, the country of Iran was one of the staunchest allies of the United States and very much pro-Israel and pro-America. But the Shah was deposed and Khomeini took power. And today, Iran is perhaps the most belligerent nation in all the world, with the possible exception of North Korea. They have turned. Another nation that's listed here is Turkey. Turkey was in NATO, still is in NATO, but is not as West-leaning as it was. So in just my short lifetime, I've seen three of these nations start out going a certain way, and all of them flip to agree with what Ezekiel said. I can tell you that the Hebrew prophets knew what God was talking about. I would say that they knew what they were talking about, but they weren't prophesying from their own minds. Now, one of the things that I have seen in Scripture and believe strongly, and I read it, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9, the thing that has been is what will be. Everything gets repeated. Everything. In other words, nothing is happening now that didn't happen in some form or another in the ancient past. And one of the things that I believe is happening now is something that happened in the book of Genesis chapter 11. And I'm going to give you a cursory look at it. But I get hit with people all the time. What's going on, Pastor Willie? You got any insight into what's happening today? And the answer is yes. I can say this with all honesty. I've never spent more time in prayer and study than I have in the year 2021. I've been on my knees more. I've read more. I've studied more. I've researched more in 2021 than any other year. I haven't said a lot about this publicly because I wanted to be very careful. I wanted to measure my words but I'm convinced that there is something going on, and I'll tell you what it is. Listen to what the Bible says after the flood. 
God blessed Noah, Genesis 9, 1, and his sons and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. The word replenish here means refill. The same word is used in Genesis 6, 11, where it describes the violence that filled the whole earth, meaning that it was all over the earth. So God intended for people to scatter. But one man in the ancient world defied this word and defied God. I read Genesis chapter 10, verse 8. Cush fathered Nimrod, who was the first powerful man on earth. Scholars say he's the first recorded king in the Bible. He was a powerful hunter in the sight of the Lord. That's why it's said, like Nimrod, a powerful hunter in the sight of the Lord. His kingdom started with Babylon. There were a number of other places, but it starts with Babylon. A cursory reading of the King James doesn't tell you the whole story. It doesn't give you the whole picture. It almost makes you think that Nimrod is a hero. And I've seen little Bible books that show Nimrod being a great hunter who feared the Lord. But that's not what the scripture teaches. Nimrod, according to Flavius Josephus, first century Jewish historian, persuaded mankind not to ascribe their happiness to God, but to think that his excellency was the source of it. And he soon changed things into a tyranny. Another ancient Hebrew book, the Targum of Jonathan, said, From the foundation of the world, none was ever found like Nimrod, powerful in hunting and in rebellions against the Lord. First Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 10, the Chaldee paraphrase reads, Cush begat Nimrod, who began to prevail in wickedness, for he shed innocent blood and rebelled against Yahweh. Nimrod is from the Hebrew marad, It means to rebel. His name literally means we will rebel or come, let us rebel. Now, Nimrod was the king of this place called Babel, which eventually became Babylon. And let me read to you how they rolled in those days. Genesis 11.1. Now the whole earth had one language, one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there, and they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth which was exactly what God told them to do, spread out. Go to the different corners of the earth. God had places for all of them. God had a plan for all of them. It's fascinating to me in the book of Acts chapter 8, the first man to be saved was of the family of Ham. He's the Ethiopian eunuch. Saved supernaturally, by the way. God had Philip go down and preach to him with the directions of an angel. So Philip went. The next man to be saved supernaturally in the book of Acts is of the family of Shem, Saul of Tarsus. Jesus himself appeared to Saul and confronted him on the road to Damascus where he was going to pick up, uh, to persecute Christians, the family of Shem. And then in Acts chapter 10, another man was saved supernaturally. He's of the family of Japheth. His name is Cornelius. He's an Italian. And so you see very early on in Acts, God is saying, I'm going to get everybody. I'm going after all the families of the world. I want to save them all. That's God's plan. But they were scattered. And so the Bible says, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they have one language. This is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. 
I think it's interesting they made bricks. Bricks are all alike. They don't work if they're different sizes. The Bible doesn't say that we're bricks. The Bible says we are living stones. Every one of us is unique. We have unique personalities. God didn't make us all to be exactly the same. Your individuality is a gift from God. God needs you and has a plan for you on this earth. You may think you're weird. You may not fit. You may think that I haven't found my place. I'm not like other people. Good. It's because God has something unique for you that other people wouldn't be able to do. You reach people that I could never, ever get to. And so that's why God didn't want bricks. It's symbolic. But when he had them build altars, he said, use stones and don't cut them. Don't reshape them. My altars are always to be made out of rough stones that come out of the ground just as they are. It was God's way of saying, I want people in the way that I created them. God wants you. That's why when I was a teenager, I didn't have a lot of use for church because I didn't see hardly anybody like me at church. I don't mean this ugly, but most of the guys I saw at church were sissies. But God sent two men to my high school when I was a junior, and they weren't sissies. And there was something powerful about those two men, and I wanted it. I'd never seen anybody like that in my life. Years later, one of them asked me, Willie, what did you see in me that made you want to follow Christ? Here's my answer. Greater is he who is in you than he that's in the world. The most powerful spiritual force I'd ever been around in my life was in that man. I wanted it. When he talked about Christ, I saw a man I'd never seen before. When he spoke of Jesus, I saw a person in a way that I'd never seen him before. I saw Jesus in his power. He was different. And I thought about all the imposing people that I'd met, all the rotten people, all the wicked people I'd ever met, all the loud-mouthed, cursing people, the fighters, all of them. And I thought none of them could stand up to what I saw in church in the presence of Jesus. None of them. And so here is this one world push in Genesis 11. And ladies and gentlemen, it's happening today. There is a push on in our world to dissolve borders. There is a push to blend our economies. There is a push for everybody to be the same. We don't even want a distinction between the sexes. Now in the schools of Chicago just this week, all of the bathrooms are, anybody can go anywhere. The Bible talks about these days and it says that men profess themselves to, want to be wise, but then they become fools. They become absolute fools. When Bill Maher appears to be a conservative, you know something has gone wrong in America. <laughs> Conspiracy theories aside, I have noticed a number of troubling developments, and especially in the last 24 months, and I don't want to be long, but I'll go through them quickly. A lawlessness in our cities that we have not seen. Yes, we had riots in the 60s. I lived through that. I remember that. 
but the crashing of stores and raiding retailers, going in, smashing, grabbing. I've not seen that. And the people arrested are back out on the streets because of this ridiculous bail policy that so many of our cities have adopted. I see repeated calls, not from radicals in the streets, from congressmen, for the abolition of law enforcement agencies, for the abolition of prisons, for releasing people out on the streets. And yes, 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 we need to do better in law enforcement. We need to do better in the way we manage prisons, and we need to do better in the rule of law, but we don't abandon it. This constitution that we hold dear to us in the United States of America has built the greatest and most generous nation in the history of the world. A nation that has provided more gospel preachers and more money to carry this story around the world. We are not without our flaws, but don't throw us down the tubes because we have some faults. Restrictions on freedom of speech and freedom of worship. When I see a pastor carried off in front of his own children, dragged to jail in Canada, in what's considered to be the most conservative province of Canada, Alberta, because he and his church wanted to meet outdoors, but the government said, you can't meet at all. He was a pole. Grew up behind the Iron Curtain. I've seen this before, he said. Tyrannical politicians in countries, states, cities. When the people of Australia are asking for China to come and set them free, something's wrong. Three, 15, three teenagers, 15, 16, 17, crawled over a fence in a camp in Australia and escaped. None of them had COVID. But because they'd been around somebody who had COVID, they were locked in this detention camp. My God, what have we come to? What have we come to? Gender confusion with no regard for the safety, the welfare of our women and kids. A man is arrested in a school board meeting because his own daughter, 15 years old, was raped by a transgender student in a bathroom and nobody would listen to him. And the superintendent of schools stand up and says, we have no record of this. And the police department or sheriff's department said, yes, you did. We told you about it. It was reported. It's amazing to me. It is. It's amazing to me that we stoop to this. I guess that we've always had evil, but what troubles me is the reaction against it from a huge segment of our country is just not there. And that's what bothers me. The dissolution of borders, where there's no respect for where one country begins and another ends. Don't get me wrong. I think one of the most industrious peoples in the world, because many of them worked on my home 12 years ago when it was built. And I could say they were the most energetic, faithful, hardworking craftsmen who worked on my home, all Hispanic. I grew up with Hispanics. I love them. Played football with them. I love them. It's around them all the time. My dad had a Western store, our saddle maker, wonderful Hispanic man. I had 
Lots of friends, Hispanic. Never thought about them being anything different. Love them. Not against Hispanic people. I'm against no borders. Let me tell you why. Because the same God who tells me that my black brothers have the same red blood that I do, that my Hispanic brothers have the same red blood that I do, that my Asian brothers have the same red blood that I do. The same God who said that said this, and listen to Acts chapter 17, verses 26, 27. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. Listen to this. And has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord. God's the one who set the boundaries. And so the destruction of boundaries is not a good thing. Those are some of the things that bother me. What's going to happen, Pastor Willie? What sounds pretty gloomy. It does. Until you read the end of the story, Babel didn't work. God messed it up. Just like an egg beater. Sent them out in every direction. Changed their languages. A lot of people praying today. And if tongues undid the Tower of Babel, I have to believe they will also undo this mess that's happening in our country. And that which has been done is that which shall be. So while I'm bothered, I know what side I'm on, and I know what the book says. And I know that Nimrod did not win. God did. And this push for globalism will end in folly. It will not work. I didn't say everything's going to be rosy. I didn't say that. But we're going to see some major turns, I believe, in the not-too-distant future. My hope is always in the Word. Never in humanity. Always in the Word. But I do say this. I am encouraged today because I see the majority of the people all races in the United States who want security. They want government. They want safety. They want borders. They want order. They're not behind the lawlessness. They don't want to live in it. And I'm telling you, that gives me great hope. God bless you. Thank you very much. 